This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Support this podcast by joining the independent progressive media revolution today at humanistreport.com. Welcome to the Humanist Report podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 72nd episode of the program. Today is November 9th, and we have a fantastic show for you. But before we get started, we have several people to thank for joining the independent progressive media revolution. Today, we have Michelle Mirlet Hernandez, Noah McClellan, and Kay Minix. So these people decided to join and become a member, a Patreon patron, or donate to us via PayPal. So if you two would like to join the independent progressive media revolution, you can visit the links down below in the description box, or you could simply support the show by liking our videos and sharing our, video- our videos or whitelisting us on Adblock. So today, I will talk about the smear campaign against Keith Ellison by the Democratic Party establishment, and why Howard Dean withdrew his bid to be DNC chair. Also, a journalist claims that he was viciously attacked by Bernie Sanders' alt-left. I'll address that. And Noam Chomsky discusses how Bernie Sanders can help the Democratic Party win back voters that they lost to Trump. Hillary Clinton is continuing to destroy the Democratic Party's brand. Donald Trump chose fossil fuel shills to lead the EPA, And Congress is covertly paving the way for a Syrian no-fly zone. I'll tell you how. Also, Clinton's surrogate David Brock blames millennials. And Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Robbie Moog, talks about why he thinks Hillary Clinton lost. And Nina Turner explains how you can fix the Democratic Party. It's a lot more simple than it really seems. So all of these topics will be covered in today's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy the show. So even though you've seen some members of the Democratic Party establishment come out to support Keith Ellison's bid to be the next DNC chair, by and large, it's very clear that the aggregate Democratic Party establishment, especially Democratic Party donors, do not want Keith Ellison to be the next DNC chair. And this is because they don't want a change of course. They don't want to turn away from liberal elites and actually cater to the working class. So they are vehemently fighting to stop Keith Ellison. Now, one of the ridiculous attempts to discredit him is that, well, he can't be the DNC chair because the last DNC chair, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she wasn't uh, successful specifically because she had to divide her time between being a member of the House of Representatives and being the DNC chair. Now, if you even know who Debbie Wasserman Schultz is, you know that that's preposterous. She was unsuccessful because she was a corrupt, greedy party insider that rigged the primary against the candidate that would have ultimately defeated Donald Trump. But they're trying to say that, Keith Ellison, you know, we we have to have a full-time chair. You just can't be the chair, Keith. I'm really sorry. But here's Keith Ellison's response. According to The Hill, Representative Keith Ellison said Wednesday he'll resign from Congress if he's elected chairman of the Democratic National Committee, removing a major hurdle to his bid that was viewed as a deal breaker for many in the party. Checkmate, Democratic Party establishment. What's your response to this? Well, since he backed them into a corner, they are pulling out all the stops against Keith Ellison, and they're trying to smear him in the same way that the party establishment tried to smear Bernie Sanders during the primary, and it's really sickening. So The Intercept explains, The now ironically named Anti-Defamation League pronounced Ellison's 2010 comments about Israel deeply disturbing and disqualifying. Other Israel advocates have joined in. What are Ellison's terrible sins? He said in a 2010 speech that 
while he, quote, wanted the U.S. to be friends with Israel, the U.S. can't allow another country to treat us like we're their ATM. As the full speech makes clear, he was referring to the indisputable fact that while Israel continues to take billions of dollars every year from the U.S., far more than any other country receives in aid, it continually disregards and violates U.S. requests to stop ongoing expansion of illegal Israeli settlements. This smear campaign against Ellison received a major boost Friday night when the single largest funder of both the Democratic Party and the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Israeli-American billionaire Haim Saban, said at the Brookings Institution, a part of which he funds, Quote, if you go back to his positions, his papers, his speeches, the way he has voted, he is clearly an anti-Semite, an anti-Israel individual. Saban added, Keith Ellison would be a disaster for the relationship between the Jewish community and the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party's central reliance on billionaire funders like Saban is a key reason that debates over Israel policy are not permitted within the party. It's why any attempt to raise such issues will prompt systematic campaigns of reputation destruction like the one we're witnessing with Ellison. So in other words, the donors to the Democratic Party, as well as the Democratic Party establishment, because it's them that are saying this too and using the same line of attack against Keith Ellison, they're not allowing anyone to have a reasonable position. They're not allowing anyone to be nuanced. And you can't speak out against the fact that taxpayer dollars are funding atrocities against Palestinians. Keith Ellison, of all people, he's definitely uh, against Jewish people. He's definitely anti-Israel, even though it's the case that he put his whole career on the line to come out and endorse Bernie Sanders, the most successful Jewish candidate in American history. That person is an anti-Semite. It's just unbelievable. Now, there actually is a progressive case to be made against Keith Ellison, and this is because he does support a Syrian no-fly zone. Now, I vehemently disagree with him on this particular issue, but I do still support his bid to be the next DNC chair. Would he ever get my vote to be president in support of this policy? Absolutely not, but as DNC chair, what he would do is allow the party to implement a strategy that would lure voters back into the Democratic Party. And he has a really robust plan to do just that and to make the Democratic Party more reliant on voters and less reliant on donors, which is what they desperately need. And that's why people like Tulsi Gabbard have come out and endorsed Keith Ellison. It's why unions are coming out to endorse Keith Ellison. It's because he is an economic populist to the nth degree. He's just like Bernie Sanders when it comes to domestic policy. And for that reason alone, I think he is more than qualified to be the next DNC chair. So why aren't they using this line of attack against Keith Ellison, why aren't they saying, well, you know, he's in favor of a Syrian no-fly zone. I thought you guys didn't want that. Well, the reason why they can't say that is because they're also in favor of it. So the only way that they can actually try to argue or make the case against Keith Ellison is to discredit him and smear him. The fact remains that Keith Ellison needs to be the next DNC chair, and if he's not, then the party will continue to lose to Republicans. And if members of the Democratic Party establishment, along with their donors, spent as much time attacking and smearing Republicans as they do to progressives, then maybe we'd be in a different place in this country right now. On the last episode of the podcast, I talked about why I thought Howard Dean was unqualified to be the next DNC chair. Now, after I filmed this episode, before it even went up on YouTube, Howard Dean inexplicably dropped out of the race. Now, he went on MSNBC to explain why that's the case. Why pull yourself that? out of the running for this position? Because I really feel strongly that our party needs to turn itself over to the next generation, and I'm very happy to 
stay in the background and help coach the whoever the chair is. I just think that one of the problems that we had in this election was we got to connect more with young people. Uh, and that means not having faces like mine. Look, I did this job. We did a great job. We really did. We came in in 2009. We didn't have, excuse me, 2005. We didn't have the House, the Senate, or the presidency. And we, when we left in 2009, we had all three. Um, but I really do think this needs to go to a younger person and move ourselves on to the next generation. But so what changed your mind, Governor? Because even within the last, I think, 48 hours, you were making the case that you were the guy to lead the party and to put in place a 50-state strategy and, and better organization. What changed in the last well, you know, day or two? Actually, if you listen carefully to my, uh, my discussions on MSNBC, uh, I didn't change very much. I've been saying that I thought we ought to turn the party over to a younger person for a long time, and also that I do not believe we can have a chair that has two jobs. You right, cannot have a sitting politician in this job. So but that's something just changed, not, right? Because even though you may have been being careful in your words and what you wanted, you were running and now you're not. So I guess I'm wondering, was there some kind of a deal? What, well, what in your view, changed? No, I made this decision two or three weeks ago. Um, once I was in, I, I know I got a quick lay of the land. I, I think that I would have and could have won just because of what we were able to accomplish the last time I was chair. But it also came very clear, as this is what I said in the video to the DNC, uh, which is some of which is meeting in Denver. It became clear to me that one, if we weren't really careful, this would be a Hillary versus Bernie proxy fight. I was for Hillary. Uh, Keith, who Ellison, who's one mm -hmm. of the people who's running, was for Bernie. I didn't want that fight. Two. If you really believe that you need to have young people attracted to the party, it's better to have a young person okay. running. I was actually really surprised by that, and I do have a lot more respect for him because of his reasoning. He states, quote, our party needs to turn itself over to the next generation. We've got to connect more with young people. That couldn't be more true because if the Democratic Party establishment has illustrated anything, it's that they don't care about the concerns of millennials. We want climate change to be a central focus of the Democratic Party. We want big money and politics to be targeted by the party. We don't want you to get in bed with lobbyists and Wall Street and special interests. We want you to look out for us. And so I think that him acknowledging the fact that him as well as other people within the Democratic Party establishment are just out of touch, you know, that, I think that that is something that will help him garner more respect and credibility among progressives and younger people. He also states, if we weren't really careful with this, it would be a Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders proxy fight, and I didn't want that fight. And let me tell you this, the minute he decided to join uh, this race to become the next DNC chair, it turned into a Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders proxy fight because th this is something that is going to be an ongoing theme. There will be a continued war between the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party and the Hillary Clinton wing of the Democratic Party because you have the Democratic Party establishment still wanting to do things their own way. You have people like Nancy Pelosi saying, well, you know, I don't think that the Democratic Party needs to go in a new direction. We're the party of the working class. Well, Nancy, what we're saying is that you're not the party of the working class any longer, and we want you to change so that way you become the party of the working class again. So you have this party establishment that's just completely out of touch with the average voter, and you have the progressive wing saying, look, if you don't do things our way because your way clearly hasn't been working, then you're going to continue to lose and lose and lose and lose again. Under Debbie Wasserman Schultz's leadership, the Democrats have lost thousands 
of seats in state legislatures across the country. They lost the Senate, they lost the House, and now they lost the presidency. And if they don't change after this, if they don't see this as a wake-up call, if they don't take the defeat of Hillary Clinton to an orange cloud like Donald Trump as a sign that they've got to do something differently and start taking progressives seriously, then they're in for trouble. And this is, unfortunately, it's not something that they're only going to have to pay the consequences of. See, Democrats, when they lose, yeah, you know, they lose a couple of seats, but they're rich, they can go on with their lives. But we have to deal with the policies that Trump and his administration and the Republicans want to implement. Republicans are already looking at a plan to privatize Social Security. It's going to be a disaster, and we're going to have to fight like hell. And we wouldn't have to be waging this battle against Republicans if you guys just did your job and actually mobilized the base and catered to the working class, but instead you guys wanted to cozy up with limousine liberals and liberal party elites and do what they wanted as opposed to where the heart and core of the base wanted, which is anyone who supported Bernie Sanders. So I absolutely respect that Howard Dean is able to really have a little bit of introspection, which is what many people in the Democratic Party establishment fail to have, and realize, look, I'm not the right person at this time for the Democratic Party. Yes, they were successful under my tenure as DNC chair at a different time, but now we really need different leadership. We need to cater to the needs of the future of the Democratic Party, which is millennial voters. And if you don't win them over, you're going to lose the race every single time. So, I respect that. I really do. I think that Howard Dean went up a few points in my mind. Now, when it comes to why he quit, part of it is because I think that Howard Dean has shown to have relatively thin skin, right? Because Jimmy Dore did a segment where he tweeted something to Howard Dean calling him a lobbyist and Howard Dean blocked Jimmy Dore immediately on Twitter. So this is someone who doesn't like to be criticized and you had progressives all just kind of dogpile on Howard Dean the second he announced that he was going to be running to be the DNC chair. And that's because we don't want another shill for Wall Street to be the face of the Democratic Party. We need a new direction. And clearly, Keith Ellison is the only person who could facilitate the change that we need to take the party back from special interests. So I'm glad that Howard Dean was able to reflect in a way and do what's best for the party and the country and drop out. So, Howard Dean, credit where credit is due. Thank you for dropping out. Thank you for actually seeing what other Democratic partisan hacks aren't able to see. And just for old time's sake, I'll leave you with this. So Nina Turner recently did an interview with Vice, and during that interview, she perfectly explained how you can fix the Democratic Party after they were decimated in this last election. And her solution is really quite simple, and you could sum it up in less than 10 words. You have to give a shit about the people. That's all it comes down to. So she states, they lost because they lost their way. They lost their message. They lost their focus. And they forgot why we really were or are still, I hope, the party of the working people. The Democratic Party didn't have a compelling reason for people to come out and vote. Just being anti-Trump, as we see, did not work. The party should have been aspirational and talked about why we are the party of the people and why our platform matters. As much as President Obama deserves a lot of credit for helping to pull our country out of the greatest economic crisis since the Great Depression, that still doesn't ameliorate all the challenges that working class families have. The working class 
and middle class in this country have not seen increases in their wages and their relative wealth. They find their quality of life diminishing because they have to work more jobs just to keep up with what they had 5 or 10 years ago. We have a millennial generation that is not doing as well as people who were their age 10 and even 20 years ago. They're saddled with debt even if they do decide to go to college. The quality of life prospects are bleaker than they were and people are working harder. If Senator Sanders went head-to-head -head with Donald Trump, I believe he would have won because he believes in the people. Working-class men and women deserve a champion. They're tired of people just telling them what they want to hear to get elected, and they don't necessarily follow through. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's very simple. Uh, Obama... He promised hope and change, but we got more of the status quo, and he immediately became very establishment and centrist and corporatist. And even though he ran a populist campaign, he got in and appointed people like Timothy Geithner to his administration. So he completely sold us out, and there were signs that he sold us out during his campaign when he was accepting large contributions from Wall Street. And we didn't see it, but with Bernie Sanders, he was the first candidate to come along in a really long time and really walk the walk. Obama, he talked the talk, and he did a great job of that. He's very charismatic, and he inspired millions of people and brought them into the political process, like myself. But with Bernie Sanders, he actually walked the walk. He decided not to have a super PAC. He decided to not accept uh, money and donations from large corporations, from billionaires, and that really showed voters, that communicated a very strong message to us that he was actually on our side. But I mean, like when it comes to Hillary Clinton, she was trying to be a faux populist, but we weren't buying that bullshit. She sold out to Wall Street a really long time ago. She showed that money does, in fact, influence her decisions. And look, it's not just Hillary Clinton. I think she was more corrupt than other politicians because you also had the Clinton Foundation and the private email server and WikiLeaks showing us exactly what she did and how she colluded with the DNC to destroy Bernie Sanders. But I mean, this is something that's prevalent in... American politics, just generally speaking, all politicians take money from their donors and then do favors for them and ignore the working people. And that's just not acceptable. And Bernie Sanders was the one person who was a ray of light that showed us that he was going to be on our side. The DNC blew that opportunity. So it's just so frustrating to me that, you know, something that is really simple, like, you know, standing up for the working class has to actually be said. Like, we shouldn't have to say this. This should just be a given. Nina Turner should not have to come out and say, hey, you guys need to care about the working class. Like, you're the Democratic Party. You're supposed to be the party of the working class. Why are you not already doing this? Do you not see that the working class did not come out to support you in this election? I wouldn't be surprised if they move further to the right because they see that Donald Trump is a very uh, extreme right candidate and they might try to move to the right to uh, compete with him. So, I don't know if Democrats are going to get their shit together, but all I know is that the solution is very simple. Nina Turner has it. You just have to represent the working class and stop putting the interests of your donors and liberal elites above the working class and you'll win again. It's that simple. It's so simple that it's frustrating. With the Democratic Party establishment demonstrating their cluelessness and incompetence more and more every single day, Noam Chomsky, who is someone I really respect, actually spoke about this and said that the Democratic Party, they have a really clear and obvious path that they can take if they want to win back some of the voters that they lost to Donald Trump. 
And that path is through Bernie Sanders. The Independent explains, Mr. Chomsky, the renowned scientist and philosopher, said American workers have been beaten down for decades with weakened labor unions and stagnant wage growth since neoliberal policies were instituted in 1979. President Obama's supporters in 2008 and 2012 were voting for his slogan of hope and change but were disappointed. But the professor said that if young people and activists revived a strong labor movement which could overcome racial conflict like it did in the 1930s, then the workers' favor could be won back. Suppose people like the Sanders movement offered an authentic, constructive program for real hope and change. It would win these people back, he said. I think many of the Trump voters could have voted for Sanders if there had been the right kind of activism and organization, and those are possibilities. It's been done in the past under much harsher circumstances. You should also bear in mind what a remarkable phenomenon the Sanders campaign was. Here's somebody unknown, came from nowhere, was using words like socialism, which used to be a real curse word, no corporate or media support, no support from the wealthy, everything that has been crucial to win elections. He could have taken over the Democratic Party if it hadn't been for the shenanigans you know about, he said, perhaps alluding to the Democratic National Committee's alleged attempt to smear Bernie Sanders. And he's absolutely correct. Now, the reason why many people were so inspired by Bernie Sanders and why we kind of looked at him as a turning point in American history is because he could have been the next FDR. He is one of a kind. There are very few politicians that are as principled and uh, devoted to the American people as Bernie Sanders. And I've stated during the primaries that if we pass up this opportunity, we may never get this opportunity to elect someone like Bernie Sanders ever again. And the fact that we did pass up that opportunity, that the DNC passed up that opportunity, it's just so, it, it's heartbreaking, honestly. Because Bernie Sanders could have made the Democratic Party exponentially more popular than they are. And seeing that just 30% of the American population actually is a registered Democrat, they needed to lure in more voters. They have a base that they were ignoring for decades that's hurting. Ever since the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party took over in the 1990s with Bill Clinton and then Barack Obama, and now with Hillary Clinton who tried to do that, it's just been nothing but more of the same. And look, I don't want to perpetuate this false equivalence between Democrats and Republicans because there is a difference. But since Republicans are so crazy, since they're so off the spectrum, I mean, their policies would just hurt the country and the world. But Democrats are basically the only ticket that we have to stopping Republicans. And all they do is try to be more and more like Republicans. All they do is try to court more big money donors and be more corrupt and more establishment. You know, we can tell when someone betrayed us. And the Democratic Party, they betrayed us. We want a candidate that's going to support universal health care, free college tuition. But you guys decided to spit in our face. And even though Hillary Clinton claims to have embraced those policies, we know that she didn't actually care about it and only decided to talk about those policies when she needed millennial votes. So, I mean, look. We're fighting for our lives here, and if the Democratic Party doesn't wake up, then we're all going to suffer due to their incompetence. And right now, they have someone that's a true leader, Bernie Sanders, who's now more relevant than their party's nominee, Hillary Clinton. He's still doing more. He's still fighting against the Dakota Access Pipeline and speaking out on progressive issues. That person is the de facto Democratic Party leader. If you don't take his advice, you're going to lose again and again, and we're all going to suffer because of it. 
So the only way that you can lose an election to a beatable buffoon like Donald Trump is if you run one of the shittiest campaigns in American history. And what we witnessed with Hillary Clinton and her team was, in fact, one of the most shittiest campaigns in American history. Now, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Robbie Mook, was on CNN to discuss some of the ways that they came up short and why they lost ultimately to an orange clown like Donald Trump. Now, if you are wondering whether or not he learned anything, the answer is an unequivocal no, because... They learn nothing. So when it comes to her VP choice of Tim Kaine and why Hillary Clinton didn't even consider Bernie Sanders, here's what he had to say. What did Tim Kaine offer that Bernie Sanders didn't? Yeah, it's a great question. And look, Bernie Sanders is a really important part of our campaign no matter what. Um, we would not have had the successful convention that we did without Bernie Sanders' help. Uh, we would not have had as many people support us as did without Bernie Sanders' help. He, he, he was a, an enormous part of our uh, presence on the ground in October uh, in particular. We're really uh, grateful to him for that. You know, the decision, I think Kellyanne would agree with this, the decision about who should be your vice president should be a decision about who you think is ready to do the job and who you can see as a partner, you know, someone down the hall who you can call on uh, to work with you. Uh, and that's how Hillary approached this. And I assume uh, that's how Donald Trump approached this uh, as well. Um, and, that, and he was on that list because he deserved to be on that list and he, and he was considered fully along with uh, over 30 other people. Uh, but at the end of the day, she she felt like Tim Kaine uh, would represent her views and values if, you know, God forbid, he had to become president, uh, that he had uh, the background and preparation uh, to do the job, um, but also that that partnership and that chemistry was the right one. So that right there is a perfect example of cluelessness. He said, Bernie Sanders was a really important part of our campaign. Well, how so? Because you only utilized Bernie Sanders and trotted him out once you realized that Hillary Clinton wasn't actually getting as much millennial supporters as she thought she was. I mean, that was just a failure. Bernie Sanders, after everything that you guys did to him, after you colluded with the DNC to rig the primaries against him, he didn't have to help you, but he did because he knew that Donald Trump would be a disaster. So he swallowed his pride and tried to help you, and you did not utilize him in the correct way. You tried to pander... And it didn't work. He also said Bernie Sanders was on Hillary's list. Oh, okay. He acts like that was an accomplishment in and of itself. Well, Bernie Sanders was on Hillary Clinton's list. Oh, really? Because according to WikiLeaks and the release of John Podesta's emails, Hillary Clinton planned to select Tim Kaine since as early as 2015. So that's some bullshit right there. And I don't think you ever really considered Bernie Sanders. And if you did, well, we might be in a different spot. Even if you selected Elizabeth Warren... We might be in a different spot right now. Hillary Clinton might actually be the president. Now, if Hillary chose Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, I don't think she would have won over all of his supporters that she screwed over, but it would have certainly increased her chances. There's no doubt about that because you would have helped to unify the base. Uh, and now you still have this ongoing proxy war between the Hillary Clinton wing and the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. And I'll just say this, the Hillary Clinton wing needs to step aside because we did it your way and lost, now it's our turn. But anyways, getting back to uh, what Robbie Mook says, he also is still talking about one thing that he couldn't shut the hell up about during the campaign. Russia. Congress has got to investigate what happened with Russia here. We cannot have foreign and foreign aggressors, I would argue, intervening uh, in our elections. And we know that the Russians were promulgating fake news through Facebook and other outlets. The Russians, well, the Russians, by the Russians, the Russians, the Russians, the Russian government, the Russians illegally stole these emails. Now, when it comes to the question of who's to blame, well, it's not Hillary Clinton. Whether it is 
giving speeches to Goldman Sachs or setting up the private email server or the decision to become multi, multi, multi millionaires. Did the decisions by those individuals, the old guard, make your job close to impossible? Well, no, not at all. Uh, we came very close to winning this campaign. Um, and, and as I said, we, you know, we won the popular vote. Um, look, Hillary said she regretted that email set up, that it was a mistake, she took responsibility for it, and she apologized. No, for I it. get it, but, like, but, but, you, but, it, but it happened, and obviously, sure. you're talking about James Comey. James Comey is in this conversation because of the email server. Sure, but I think, but look, again, if, if any of us on the campaign could have gone back on the time machine, including Hillary Clinton, changes, absolutely, uh, we would have. But I think, despite that, this was the most overhyped, overreported, overlitigated story in the history of American politics. Full stop. It was, and particularly because of what James Comey did. You know, there are protocols at at the Justice Department that they are not to intervene uh, in uh, electoral races. They're not to report out on investigations in you know two, three, four months uh, before an election. This was a total breach of that protocol and totally unnecessary. Particularly to write a letter saying we have some emails. I haven't even looked at them. It, 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 it's 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 mind-boggling why he did this. So according to Robbie Mook. Hillary Clinton isn't to blame for running a shitty campaign. James Comey is. And also, he has another scapegoat in mind. We know for a fact that some young people in particular were voting for third-party candidates. Um, and if those votes had gone a different way, the, the election could have turned out in a different way. It's their choice where to put their vote, so I'm not criticizing or blaming them. But you are, Robbie. You did blame them. You blamed people who dared to vote for a candidate that actually had a message that resonated with them. You see, and you're also conveniently overlooking the fact that Hundreds of thousands of Democrats decided to flip and support Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. Why don't you guys ever talk about that? I mean, we see the same thing with the 2000 election. Everyone likes to blame Ralph Nader and say that, well, you know, he took so much votes away from Al Gore in Florida in 2000 that it uh, cost him the election. But what you don't realize is that millions of voters flipped and supported George W. Bush. And that's what happened this time as well. So why is it that we only blame third party voters, but we don't blame the Democrats who are registered as Democrats that voted for Donald Trump? Oh, it's because you are supporting the narrative fall in line because it helps you guys win. If you fall in line, then you're more likely to support the Democratic Party no matter what. But you didn't like that we didn't fall in line this time because you put forth a corrupt, shitty corporatist candidate that we rejected. So you learned nothing and this is not just apparent with Robbie Moog. It's prevalent throughout the whole Democratic Party. They can't accept that Hillary Clinton lost because she was the wrong candidate and she was a bad candidate. So, you know, it's really frustrating because the reason why I'm still talking about this, the reason why I'm still talking about this election is because we need you to get it through your heads. You need to know why you lost so you don't do it again. This is why we're screaming it from the rooftops. Hillary Clinton lost because of Hillary Clinton, not no one else. So if you continue to blame, you know, James Comey and scapegoat third-party voters, you're never going to learn. But we're telling you, we're trying to shake you and wake you up and say, look, you lost because you abandoned the base, you split the base, and then you catered to neoconservatives. Don't do that shit. You can't do that if you want to win. Even if it's a buffoon like Donald Trump, you're still going to lose if you don't give voters a reason to vote for you. Simply being someone that's not Donald Trump does not mean, oh, I got to come out and vote for that person. No, we're just going to stay home. And that's what happened. That's why you got 7.5 million less votes than Obama in 2008. So the takeaway is that we need you guys to wake up. We need you. We desperately need you to acknowledge why you lost specifically.
So that way you never do it again because this was the easiest election ever. I mean, if, if this election was a video game, Hillary Clinton was playing on the easiest difficulty because Donald Trump should have been a cakewalk. And you guys acknowledge that, hence why WikiLeaks' uh, release of John Podesta's email showed that you tried to elevate Donald Trump's campaign. But I mean... You guys made so much rookie mistakes that a seasoned politician like Hillary Clinton should never make. So you've got to acknowledge what you got wrong so that way the Democratic Party can learn from your mistakes. So now that Hillary Clinton lost the election, what is she choosing to do? Is she going to just take the millions of dollars that she has and retire and just relax and enjoy her life and become politically irrelevant? Or is she going to use the immense power and wealth that she's accumulated throughout her career and put it towards the greater good and really help the American people. No, she's not going to do that. In fact, what she's choosing to do is further destroy the Democratic Party's already terrible brand. So according to page six, Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine are throwing a party at the Plaza Hotel on December 15th to thank those who donated millions to the campaign. The party will be held in the Grand Ballroom on the third floor to honor the Hillary for America Finance Leadership Council. Guests expected are big bundlers, including Harvey Weinstein, Anna Wintour, Alan Patrikoff, Tory Burch, and Mark Lasry. This is why you lost Hillary Clinton. I mean, you were giving speeches on behalf of Wall Street and Goldman Sachs and getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that. You were given $225,000 for a one-hour speech, yet you didn't support a $15 minimum wage for the American people. You thought it was too high. So we saw through your bullshit, and that's why you lost. This demonstrates why you lost. Now, looking at this meeting here... Uh, presumably, a bunch of limousine liberals got together to smell their own farts and talk about why they did everything right and the American people failed Hillary Clinton, not the other way around, and talk about how maybe if they just poured a bit more money into her campaign, she might have edged out ahead of Donald Trump. Look, this is really troubling because the Democratic Party's brand is just in ruins. I mean, the Democratic Party is divided. It's in shambles right now. They're defeated. And we like to talk about how Republicans were defeated and how Donald Trump was the death of Republicans, but they're the strongest they've been in a long time. And there's two things I want to say about this. So first, it really confirms to the American people that Democrats are not on their side. Uh, and second of all, it really illustrates to Hillary Clinton's more enthusiastic supporters that they were conned. I say that Donald Trump conned his supporters, but it's also true that Hillary Clinton conned her supporters as well. Hillary Clinton wasn't throwing a party to thank all of the grassroots activism behind her campaign, to thank the people that knocked on doors for her, who made calls for her. Hillary Clinton is cozying up with her donors. And this is exactly what she would have done if she were elected. She would get in office, and rather than thanking the base and seeing what her real constituents want who voted for her, she would call up her donors and ask them what they want first. This is the Hillary Clinton that we all know, and this is the Hillary Clinton that would have been elected. So Hillary Clinton, you know, she, she can do things like this, and many people might think it's just benign, but it's actually pretty detrimental to the party at large, because we see this, and we think, whoa, the Democratic Party really doesn't care about the working class. They're still getting cozy with donors even after they lost. So Hillary Clinton, the damage that she did to the Democratic Party it's ongoing. She's still doing more damage. So Hillary Clinton, the best thing that you can do for the good of the party and the American people is to just fade into obscurity, just go away. And that's really it. I don't, I don't mean to be rude, 
But that's really how it is. Hillary Clinton is a very destructive force in American politics, as are the Clintons, generally speaking. And it's time for them to go away and allow us to clean up the mess that they made for us. USA Today published an article by Stephen Strauss, who sent a very clear message to the Clintons that I think other members of the Democratic Party establishment also need to hear. He argues, President Obama famously said a key element of his strategy is, don't do stupid shit. Hillary Clinton was unable to learn this simple lesson despite losing to Obama in the 2008 Democratic primary and serving in Obama's cabinet for four years thereafter. The Clintons, of all people, should have been aware of the challenges of a presidential campaign, yet they still did an amazing number of stupid things. Hillary Clinton and her allies have blamed her election loss on the investigation of her private email server, especially FBI Director James Comey's letter telling Congress he was revisiting that investigation just days before the election. Election. The unprecedented decision to put all of Clinton's emails on a private server, however, was made by her and her team. It should have been obvious to anyone that a Secretary of State hosting their own email server without even bothering to get approval from the State Department in her own house was going to seem odd and trigger questions. Fundraising for the Clinton Foundation resulted in more foolishness. Any high school graduate would have known that donations to the Clinton Foundation from the world's leading kleptocrats and autocrats while she was serving as Secretary of State were going to raise questions. From 2001 through 2015, the Clintons earned more than 100 150 million in speaking fees, and Hillary Clinton alone is estimated to have earned about 20 million of such fees from 2013 to 2015, often paid by the rich, infamous, and or kleptocratic, another very short-sighted move. Imagine if instead Clinton had spent 2013 to 2015 giving free speeches at community colleges and high schools in the Midwest and battleground states. It would have built a lot of support and goodwill. Because of this election, millions of Americans could lose their health insurance and the Supreme Court might turn conservative and stay that way for a generation, probably endangering reproductive and lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights. Let me make a suggestion to Bill and Hillary Clinton. You've done quite enough damage. Keep your money and stay out of politics. Wow, that was... Fantastic. And there's more to it. So I will have a link to the full article in the description box. But he said what they needed to say uh, or what they needed to hear. Hillary Clinton made every single mistake that you shouldn't make. Really, what she wanted was to have her cake and eat it, too. She wanted to be overtly corrupt and then still think that the American people would come out to support her in spite of this corruption. But that's not the way that politics works. The American people, even though we do stupid things and the stereotype is that we're very stupid and many of us are very stupid... We're aware of basic things. We know uh, if someone is screwing us over, we can smell bullshit. And it was very apparent that Hillary Clinton was conning over her supporters. She was trying to be a faux populist, but in actuality, she would get in office and do nothing but the bidding of her donors. That would be the first phone call she makes is to all of her donors to thank them. And this is evidenced by the fact that she's not throwing a party right now to thank her grassroots activists who were knocking on doors and phone banking for her. She's throwing a party with limousine liberals and liberal party elites that donated millions to her campaign to thank them. So Hillary Clinton conned over her voters, and I do feel bad that they they did buy into the narrative that she was a so-called progressive, because it's not. She's not a progressive. It's very obvious. Now, am I saying that Donald Trump is a better candidate or implying that he also didn't con over voters? No, he conned over every single one of his supporters, and they kind of fucked themselves over by supporting Donald Trump, because in many states that supported Donald Trump, those people, the same people who voted Trump, are going to lose their health insurance if he does, in fact, repeal Obamacare. 
So they voted against their own interests, but Hillary Clinton's supporters also voted against their own interests. And I'm going to state this again because I think it's really important. The reason why progressives are still harping away at this and are still criticizing Hillary Clinton and really highlighting the worst things that she did throughout the campaign is because we need Democrats to pay attention. This is what we desperately need. If you guys don't get your shit together... We're going to have Trump for eight years instead of just four, and we really don't want that to happen. We all have a vested interest as the left, as liberals, regardless if you're on the far left like myself or the center left or just the right. We all want to defeat Donald Trump in 2020. You have four years to get your act together, and the first part of correcting the problems is admitting that you have a problem in the first place. So realize that Hillary Clinton was a flawed candidate and that you fucked up and allow Keith Ellison to take over the DNC and then actually change some things. I mean, stop taking large contributions from corporations. Bernie Sanders proved that you don't need a super PAC. You don't need millions of dollars from wealthy donors to win an, uh, an election. And he probably would have won if the conditions were different, if the DNC didn't try to limit debates and rig the primaries and uh, smear Bernie Sanders and his supporters. So we really, really need the takeaways that we really need Democrats to listen to progressives because we've been doing things your way for decades now since Bill Clinton took office. And this era of neoliberal Democrats, it's got to end. It's over. You guys had your chance and you lost. I'm really glad that USA Today published this because it's everything that the establishment needed to hear. So David Brock, who is the attack dog of Bill and Hillary Clinton, who's notorious for smearing any and all opponents of Hillary Clinton, well, he's back again, and he's blaming millennials for Hillary Clinton's defeat uh, and is saying they simply failed their candidate. It's not the other way around that Hillary Clinton failed millennials. It's that millennials failed Hillary Clinton. Well, Jeff Weaver, who is Bernie Sanders' former campaign manager, penned an article in The Hill shutting him down and saying not to buy his bullshit. He states, in his speech at the first major gathering of Democratic lawmakers since the election, Brock expressed his anger at the disaffected millennials who sat on their hands in the most consequential election of our lives. Brock's narrative that Hillary Clinton's loss is the fault of the millennial voters who supported the primary campaign of Senator Bernie Sanders is laughable. It's worth noting that Anna Greenberg an informed political professional who followed Brock as a speaker at the State Innovation Exchange Conference was quick to distance herself from his baseless analysis. But the Brockian delusion is dangerous because it gives the corporatist elements of the Democratic Party an excuse to avoid the hard questions that need to be asked in light of Trump's win. Now, we're witnessing the scapegoating of Sanders and his supporters. Most of us knew this predictably lazy attack would come. Somehow, Senator Sanders is to blame because he brought millions into the Democratic Party process by articulating a positive vision of economic, racial, environmental, and social justice. Brock himself stands to lose substantially if the Democratic Party engages in the type of introspection that is required. Brock ran a number of pro-Clinton organizations in the last campaign season, including a legally suspect super PAC, which is correct the record. All of these groups were funded by millions of donations from many of the Democratic Party's most generous donors. Brock's group spent almost a year and tons of Democratic donor cash engaged in a covert but well-documented smear campaign against Senator Sanders. Imagine if those millions wasted by Brock were used to register hundreds of thousands of new voters or to reach out to the Rust Belt working class families. Just imagine. Yeah. And just to remind you all, David Brock is the individual 
that pledged to spend a million dollars fighting against online opposition to Hillary Clinton. So he said that he would be stopping trolls by putting more trolls out into the internet. Okay, that sounds like a fantastic strategy, David. Now, this is the same guy who claimed that Bernie Sanders was racially insensitive because one of his ads uh, wasn't diverse enough. Now, it's all ironic coming from David Brock because this is the guy who tried to smear Anita Hill during the 1990s and even wrote a book about her to smear her. So this is really just a repugnant, repulsive, disgusting individual who needs to go away because... If David Brock has his way, nothing about the Democratic Party establishment will change. They'll still continue to take large contributions from special interests. Uh, and that's great because that helps out his super PACs that he runs. And he runs two Hillary Clinton super PACs as far as we know. And if all the donors go away, David Brock doesn't have a job anymore. So, I mean, David Brock has a vested interest in helping the Democratic Party to stay on this disastrous corporatist track. Because if they decide to switch and be more representative of their constituents uh, and bring back in working class voters, well, what's David Brock going to do? He's greedy and his unethical tactics are just gross. They're just gross. And let me remind you that after he coordinated with Hillary Clinton because they exploited a legal loophole to have Hillary Clinton's campaign speak with Correct the Record, he alleged that Bernie Sanders was coordinating with super PACs that he didn't even have and literally filed ethics complaints against Bernie Sanders during the primary. And he did all of this and had the audacity to pen an open letter asking Bernie Sanders to stop attacking Hillary Clinton. It's just unbelievable the hubris that this guy shows and just his lack of ethical standards is just it's absurd. I don't know why he's a Democrat. Just go be in the Republican Party. You already were a Republican, and then you tried to switch to become a Democrat, and we don't want you here. Go away, David Brock. You are a disgusting human being, and you need to stop because your selfishness and your greed is helping to destroy the Democratic Party, and as a result, it's allowing Republicans to take over and destroy the country and the planet. So congratulations, David Brock. You pushed for a shitty candidate that ultimately lost to Donald Trump when Bernie Sanders would have won. So you have yourself to thank, but yet you want to uh, blame the voters for failing the candidate. That's not the way this works, okay? We're not running for office. Hillary Clinton is running for office. So if she doesn't represent us and we don't come out to support her, it's because she failed us, not because we failed her. Hillary Clinton is not entitled to our votes. And that's one thing that you need to get through your head. So a couple of weeks ago, I made a video responding to an article that was published in Time Magazine where the author declared Bernie Sanders the Ralph Nader of 2016 because he pushed Hillary Clinton so far to the left that she became unviable in the general election. Now, I said that this argument was completely ridiculous. I said that the author was just living in his own deluded reality if he actually believed this. And specifically, this is what I said. I've seen a lot of dumb arguments as to why Hillary Clinton lost, but this definitely takes the cake. Everything that I get from this article is that you are creating this false reality and you're choosing to live in it rather than face the facts. Look, the fact of the matter is that Bernie Sanders did not cost Hillary Clinton the election. He campaigned his ass off for her when he didn't have to do that. He campaigned his ass off for her after the DNC tried to rig the primary and they successfully did that against him. 
unbelievable. To blame Bernie Sanders is just disgusting, and I'm ashamed that Time would even publish this garbage. Well, apparently, I wasn't the only individual that took issue with this demonstrably false argument because this author received a lot of negative feedback for this article from Bernie Bros, and uh, he responded to them in a new article titled, The Bernie Sanders-Fueled Alt-Left Viciously Attacked Me. Now, you already know just by the title that this is going to be another attempt to smear Bernie Sanders supporters yet again. The election is over and still we have to worry about being smeared. So let's hear him out. What does he have to say? Recently, I wrote that Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign, like Pat Buchanan's 1992 insurgency and Ted Kennedy's 1980 rebellion, pushed Hillary Clinton so far to the Democratic Party's extreme left, it became difficult for her to recover votes in the center for the general campaign. I called this one of many reasons why Clinton lost. For having done so, I received hundreds of obscenity-laden tweets, emails, and Facebook posts condemning me, my looks, my suits, my my intelligence, my professional judgment, my integrity, my motives, my religion. Some of these messages threatened violence and even mentioned my office address, trying to intimidate me. But they were not sent by members of the alt-right, the proudly bigoted conservative movement well known for its anger and trolling. Instead, they came from Sanders supporters, misreading my analysis as an advocacy piece who felt I'd blame their hero for Hillary Clinton's failures. These supposed enemies of the alt-right were enjoying the same internet-enabled, anonymous power rush of their opponents. They shirked responsibility for the words they post, the hate they spew, the democratic dialogue they demean. Their sense of injury trumped all. Hillary Clinton defined the alt-right as rejecting mainstream conservatism. Now, resenting Trump's rise, these Bernie or bust and never Hillary followers reject mainstream liberalism. They call Clinton a Republican or a neoliberal, because she is. They're all purpose epithet for non-conservatives lacking their ideological purity. And for their work, all they will do is strengthen Trump's right as they browbeat their natural, more reasonable allies as neoliberals and keep Trump and his followers feeling attacked, self-righteous, and thus unwilling to temper or compromise. Now, he states that he got a lot of anti-Semitic attacks against him and whatnot and threats, and I don't condone any of that. I unequivocally condemn that type of personal attacks. I think that if you're going to disagree with someone, you should state substantive reasons why you disagree with their argument. So I don't support that. However, this attack that he talks about, is that representative of the majority of feedback he got from this article? Probably not. I think that this is a vocal minority that read his article and decided to tweet to him and email him uh, and state their grievances with his article. But I, I think that most people, like myself, probably just disagreed because your argument was absurd. But I mean, look, when you talk about politics, it's an incredibly contentious issue and there are people that will lash out. I can empathize with you there, buddy, because I get these types of comments all the time. For example, here's some of the comments that I received. The guy talking looks like a fag. Nice earrings, geek. You talk like you might be a butt pirate. You look like a faggot. You suck, fag. You better grow up before ISIS come and chop your head right off. You don't have a clue. Not bad info, but God, the guy speaking looks like a fucking faggot. Why are liberal men always so faggy looking? Are you like gay or something? Go fuck yourself, you annoying fat face. Mike, not pleasant to look at. So we all deal with this type of bullshit and you have to look past that vocal minority, those bottom feeders, and actually try to see if there's any legitimate grievances against your argument because that's the only way you can really be objective. So 
here's what you claim. You claim that Bernie Sanders pushed Hillary Clinton so far to the left it made her unelectable. Look, Bernie Sanders did not make her unelectable. Hillary Clinton was unelectable because Hillary Clinton was unelectable. Did Bernie Sanders have any impact on her level of trustworthiness? No. Uh, did Bernie Sanders, who pushed her to adopt policies that were incredibly popular, make her less electable? No, if anything, he made her more electable. Now, also, you claim that we reject mainstream liberalism. Well, Hillary Clinton was not representative of mainstream liberalism, hence why she didn't inspire the base. If you actually are a true liberal, if you run as a progressive like Obama did in 2008, you can actually get the base excited and they'll come out to support you. The fact that Hillary Clinton was not a true liberal, well, it's proven in how much less votes she received than Obama did in 2008. The same people who came out to enthusiastically vote for Obama in 2008 and even 2012 did not support Hillary Clinton this time. It's because she tried to run as a conservative. She courted neoconservative warmongers and, and sought out the endorsements of John Negroponte and Henry Kissinger. If you do that, the liberal base is not going to support you. Also, you claim that we attack and criticize natural allies. And look, as someone who is very critical of liberals in the Democratic Party, I can understand where you're coming from, but my criticisms are meant to be constructive. And furthermore, when it comes to criticizing liberals, many people say, well, progressives, all they want to do is bash Democrats. But you guys bash progressives all throughout the campaign. We've been crying about how you guys were trying to smear Bernie Sanders and his supporters. And this is another example, this article right here, because I don't believe that a majority of Bernie Sanders supporters treated you this way. But I mean, you guys are doing the same exact thing. The left is completely split and divided and we're butting heads, but we're fighting for our lives here. We're not condemning you and criticizing Democrats because we just legitimately hate you and we're wanting to troll. We're criticizing the Democratic Party establishment because we're getting them to wake up. We're trying to snap them out of this uh, money-induced trance that they're in and tell them that if they don't turn around and actually look out for their base and stop trying to cozy up with limousine liberals and liberal party elites, then they're going to fail and they're going to lose and that's going to deleteriously impact not just them but us as well. And we want that to stop. So by criticizing Democrats, by criticizing neoliberal candidates like Hillary Clinton because she was a neoliberal based objectively on her policy position, Positions, we're trying to make a difference. Now, I get that objectivity is something that many people disagree with and dislike because it's really difficult to, you know, have introspection and look at your own party and how your party is damaged, but it's something that we have to do if we want real change. And if Democrats ever want to be electorally viable again, they actually need to take the advice of progressives. If you run a progressive campaign, you win. If you run a conservative campaign, you lose. Hillary Clinton did just that, and that's why she lost and why Donald Trump will be our next president. Now, the main takeaway and the main reason why I cover this is because I don't want you to try to smear Bernie Sanders supporters and implicitly suggest that all of Bernie Sanders supporters, the alt-left, as you tried to coin, are like this, that if they disagree with you, they're going to attack you and threaten you. No, what you saw was a vocal minority, just like I see a vocal minority of people who disagree with me and call me bad names and threaten me, but that's not representative of an entire group of people. And this continued myth that Bernie Sanders supporters are violent, that they like to throw chairs, uh, that they throw chairs at the Nevada convention specifically, that they're sexist, that they're racist. It's complete bullshit. And if you really want the left to be unified, you have to stop smearing Bernie Sanders supporters. It's just, it's not going to be conducive to a unified left, nor will it be conducive to actual change that the party needs. So unless you're just the paid shill for the oil and gas industry, 
I think that it's just common sense at this point that there's no such thing as a safe pipeline. And when it comes to Keystone or the Dakota Access Pipeline, it's not a matter of if they spill oil. It's a matter of when they inevitably spill oil. And now currently, the governor of North Dakota, as he tries to push through the Dakota Access Pipeline had an oil spill in his own backyard. So according to Natural Blaze, a farmer in North Dakota discovered one of the largest crude oil spills ever recorded in the state just bubbling up out of the ground while harvesting wheat a few months ago. Farmer Steve Jensen stated that he smelled the crude oil a few days before his combines were covered in it. The oil was spewing and bubbling six inches high, he said in an interview with CBS News. The Tesoro Corp's underground pipeline spilled 20,600 barrels of oil under the farmland. It was four times the size of a pipeline that burst in March of 2013 that forced the evacuation of more than 20 homes in Arkansas. Tesoro Logistics released the statement that the affected portion of the pipeline has been shut down. Protection and care of the environment are fundamental to our core values, and we deeply regret any impact to the landowner, Tesoro CEO Greg Goff said in a statement. Yeah, right. Now, in spite of this, Energy Transfers Partners, which is the company that wants the Dakota Access Pipeline to go through, as well as the governor of North Dakota, they still want it to go through because they don't care about the environment. They care about money. I mean, when it comes to the governor of North Dakota, is the environment going to help him get elected into office? Well, no. Energy Transfer Partners is going to donate to his campaign and help him get elected. So if the environment isn't doing anything for him other than giving him, you know, a habitable planet, then why would he care? And that's exactly what the problem is, is that we always put profit over the planet and people in this country, and it's just sickening. Now, more about this pipeline. So it's estimated that the oil spill is the size of seven football fields. That's huge. Now, that makes it one of the largest in the history of North Dakota. Now, thankfully, it hasn't contaminated the nearby water supply, nor has it harmed any wildlife yet. But it will cost $4 million to clean up, and it could have been much worse. Now, you would think that the governor of North Dakota, as well as governors across the country that are approving these types of pipelines, would see that this is a warning sign of greater things to come. If this pipeline burst and that pipeline burst and they keep bursting and spilling oil and destroying the planet, maybe we should stop approving them. But that's not the case because there are several other pipelines that are currently being planned in uh, states across the country. We have the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that just approved the Nexus pipeline that's going to run through Northeast Ohio. And there's also the Rover pipeline, which is being constructed by the same oil company that is now building the Dakota Access Pipeline. And this one will run through multiple states. And then there's also the Utopia East pipeline, another one in Ohio that is going to potentially be constructed soon. So if you care about the planet and you want it to be habitable for future generations, we have to stop these pipelines. The, the federal government, state governments, they've made it very clear that they don't wanna get off of their oil dependency. And if they don't wanna do that, we're gonna force them to because what I think right now is progressives in every single state have to fight against these pipelines because clearly if you have a monetary interest in the construction of these pipelines, then they're going to continue to pop up throughout the country and we have to take a stand now. With someone like Donald Trump in office, Nothing will get done about climate change. And what we can do is at the local and state level, we can push for reform uh, there. So 
I think that we need to take a stand against all these pipelines and also the Dakota Access Pipeline, but we need to show these energy companies that they cannot continue to destroy the planet because it gives them money. That's not acceptable. This is our planet too, and we don't want you to destroy it. We don't want it to be less habitable because you're greedy. So I say we all get together in our states and we stop these pipelines because it's just not acceptable anymore. They're going to spill. They're going to harm the planet and... This, I mean, this pipeline really, it was, even though it was the size of seven football fields, it could have been much worse. It could have contaminated drinking water. It could have uh, destroyed wildlife. But, I mean, it's going to happen. There's pipelines all across the country. There's three new ones that I told you about that are being constructed. And it's going to be worse than this. So we have to take a stand now and stop them. So we've got some really troubling news coming out of Washington, D.C., because the House of Representatives covertly passed a resolution which would pave the way for a Syrian no-fly zone. Not kidding. If you thought it was gone with Hillary Clinton losing the election, it's not. According to Free Thought Project, soon after the presidential election, key warmongers in Congress began formulating plans to make increased conflict a near certainty, complete with the kind of propaganda peddled before the Iraq attack. While everyone was distracted by the election of Trump, six representatives took advantage of the lame duck session and suspended normal rules to bring us H.R. 5732. The Caesar Syria Civilian Protection Act of 2016 includes Section 303 titled Assessment of Potential Effectiveness of and Requirements for the Establishment of Safe Zones or a No-Fly Zone in Syria. Now just to reiterate what happened here, these cowards knew that the American people would be against them escalating the war in Syria, so what do they do? pass it where the normal rules don't apply, which would potentially stop them from getting this through. The suspension of the rules procedure is supposed to be used for non-controversial bills, such as naming post offices, but this small group of lawmakers used it to pass a drastically important bill. The blatant abuse of power shows the desperation in the neocon ranks. So even though this resolution simply calls for an assessment of a Syrian no-fly zone, when the consequences are obvious, you can bet your ass that their assessment will ultimately be, yes, we should have a Syrian no-fly zone, because because if the defense contractors want it, if it's going to be profitable, it's A-OK -okay for uh, both of our parties in Congress. Now, here's what's at stake if we actually institute a Syrian no-fly zone like these neoconservatives want. Well, the lives of Syrian civilians. Because, as Hillary Clinton states, uh, it would kill a lot of Syrian civilians if you do implement a Syrian no-fly zone. And... Another obvious consequence is that it would escalate the war in Syria, get us more entrenched in this war. Uh, and also, this would almost certainly require American boots on the ground. Now also, this could lead to a potential war with Russia. Do you really want to risk a nuclear war with a gigantic superpower all because your defense contractor donors uh, want to make a little bit more money? Is that really how disgusting and uh, how low our uh, representatives have stooped in this country? You know, this is just disturbing. Uh, and I told you guys that if you didn't want a Syrian no-fly zone, you're getting one either way because Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump both support a Syrian no-fly zone. Now, if they do pass a resolution that would implement a Syrian no-fly zone, do you honestly think Donald Trump would not sign that? You bet your ass he's going to sign that. So regardless if we like it or not, we're probably going to get a Syrian no-fly zone. But... It's not too late. We can still fight back. So I'll put a link in the description box that allows you to put in your zip code and then it's going to tell you who is your elected representative. 
call that person up, leave them a message, and tell them to stop HR 5732, specifically Section 303, and to not implement a Syrian no-fly zone because a war with Russia is not worth it. So we have to take matters into our own hands because all Congress wants to do is destroy the country uh, and the world potentially with nuclear war with Russia. So we have to act. This cannot stand, this cannot go through, it's irrational, and it's immoral. Donald Trump recently announced that the Environmental Protection Agency will be led by Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt. Now, this is a disturbing choice because Scott Pruitt isn't just a climate change denier, but he's also a literal shill for the fossil fuel industry. So according to The Intercept, Pruitt is a longtime ally of the oil and gas industry who has led litigation efforts to overturn the EPA's rules to address climate change. As a state attorney general, Pruitt was caught sending a letter to regulators that was drafted by lobbyists working for Devon Energy, a major drilling company. As Pruitt joined a lawsuit against rules opposed by the fracking industry, he simultaneously courted industry donors including billionaire fracking executive Harold Hamm, who served as the co-chair of Pruitt's 2013 election campaign. Pruitt has questioned the role of man-made pollution in causing climate change, writing for the National Review this year that the debate is far from settled. That person will literally be leading an agency called the Environmental Protection Agency. And it's just factually incorrect to say that there's a debate in the first place. The overwhelming majority of climate scientists purport that climate change is in fact a reality, and yes, it is in fact anthropogenic. So it's just crazy to me that this guy will lead the EPA because if you seemingly hate the environment, then why... Should it be his responsibility? Why should he be the head of the agency that is tasked with protecting the environment? If you don't like the environment, don't be in charge of this agency. But Donald Trump doesn't like the environment. He is in favor of big money. That's what Donald Trump cares about. He doesn't give a shit about the environment because Donald Trump will be dead and gone long when we really see the full scale of climate change consequences come to fruition. So Donald Trump doesn't care. He doesn't have to worry about that. Now, Trump's EPA team will also include George Sugiyama, who is a former lobbyist for the mining industry that denies man-made climate change. Also, David Kreutzer, who is an economist think tank official and research fellow at the Koch-funded Heritage Foundation that is vocally critical of regulations that would slow down climate change. And, of course, there's Myron Ebel. He is on Trump's EPA transition team, and Myron Ebel is someone who is against reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, and he literally gets paid to perpetuate the lie that climate change is a hoax. So this is laughable. This is something that you see in a comedy movie. That's how ridiculous it is, but yet it's happening. This is a reality. Now, the scientific community has come out and unequivocally condemned this choice, obviously. So, according to The Independent, Dr. Rush Holt, the chief executive of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, compared disbelief in global warming to denying the existence of gravity. And the Sierra Club, which claims to be the largest grassroots environmental group in the U.S., with more than 2 million supporters, said the apparent decision to put Oklahoma State Attorney General Scott Pruitt in charge of the EPA was like putting an arsonist in charge of fighting fires. Yeah, that's uh, basically what it comes down to. We have people who are taking over the one agency that is really supposed to protect the environment, who want to destroy the environment because they make millions of dollars to do that. And it's just sickening. So if there's anything that is clear, 
is that Donald Trump poses an existential threat to humanity. Because if you're not going to do anything about climate change, you're responsible, Donald Trump, for the rising sea levels, for the people who will die, for the desertification and ocean acidification, for the drought that will inevitably be caused by climate change. So here's what I want to stress. Since government is not going to do anything to mitigate climate change, it's time that we take it into our own hands. And there are things you can do. You have to, one, fight to reduce your own carbon footprint. You could join groups like the Sierra Club. And if you're outside of the United States, the UK, uh, Germany, if you're in those countries, please pressure your government to be a leader because the United States is a failure. So the rest of the world is going to have to move on without us because Donald Trump has shown that he has contempt for the environment. By putting someone like Scott Pruitt in charge of the EPA, you have contempt for the environment. You don't like the environment. You don't care about the environment. You put profits over planet and people, and that's grotesque. Well, that about does it. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you made it this far in the episode, thank you so much. Uh, I want to also send a thank you to all of the members, to all of the Patreon patrons, to anyone who supported the show through PayPal. You guys help us to not only survive, but to thrive and to make upgrades to the program. So look, I'm really appreciative of it. And even if you just watch and tune in loyally every single week, you too are making a difference. So thank you all so much. I really appreciate the support that the podcast has uh, received. So I will see you all next week. Have a great day.